And we're going to come around to the Word of God now. So if you want to uh, open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Second Peter together today. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 8 to 10. And this is what it says. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But... The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for your words once again this morning. We thank you for how your word challenges us. We thank you, Lord God, that as we read your word, we catch a glimpse of your heart. We see what you're saying to us. And Lord God, today our prayer is that we will not simply be hearers of the words, but that we will be doers of the words. We pray, Lord God, that as we hear your voice today, you will show us what you're calling us to do when we go outside of these four walls. Have your way, King Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what the longest wait that you have ever had to endure has been. I remember a few years back, Gemma and I went on a trip to Barcelona. It was a weekend visit, really looking forward to it. But it was in January that we decided to go. We were flying out of Bristol Airport on a Friday. But on the Thursday, when we were at home, I remember turning on the news and seeing the weather forecast, which said it's going to be heavy snow the following day. Now, me being me and being a little bit of a cheapskate, I didn't take out any travel insurance for this particular trip. I thought, we're going for a weekend. What's the worst that can possibly happen? But I saw this forecast for snow, and I thought, right, unless we get ourselves to the airport, there is a chance we're going to miss this flight, and we're not going to get any money back because I haven't taken any travel insurance out. So I went online, and I booked the dirtiest, cheapest hotel that I could find. I said, right, we're going tonight. We're going to go up, we're going to make sure we're in Bristol, because at least if we're in striking distance of the airport, we can say we've tried everything that we can in order to get where we need to go. So that's exactly what we did. We went up on the Thursday night, stayed in this hotel. Sure enough, we woke up the very next day to a blanket of thick snow right across Bristol. But we decided to go for it anyway, and we made our way to the airport. And... To our shock, we got to the airport and the flight was still going ahead, but it was saying on the board there's an hour and a half delay. Hour and a half I can probably cope with, but that hour and a half turned into three hours. Three hours turned into five hours. Five hours turned into seven hours. And it got to the point where basically the airline company had to give us our entire money back if they didn't get us on the plane within the next half an hour. So sure enough, Within minutes to spare, we were ushered onto this aeroplane. Great, I think. Seven hours of waiting in an airport. We're finally going to get where we're going. Only to have another two hours wait sitting on 
a plane. We left the airport at 8am that morning. We arrived in Barcelona at our hotel at 3am the very next day. We were flying back the, ne the next day at 6pm in the evening. It really, really did our trip uh, very much damage. And here's the thing. God has blessed me in many ways. I can't deny that. But one thing God has not blessed me with is the gift of patience. I cannot wait for anything. I am rubbish when it comes to having a long wait. And as we open up this passage together today in 2 Peter, we get a glimpse into a church where there is a little bit of tension at this time. A disturbance has risen among the scoffers which were in the church. Thank God there's no scoffers in the church today. But there were scoffers in the church at this point at least. And they were attempting to pour scorn on this idea that Jesus would once again return. There were many new believers in the church and in this audience that Peter, who is writing this letter, is writing to. And they were excited about the new faith that they had. Often, there was extreme persecution that they were facing as a result of their faith. So they were eagerly looking forward to Jesus Christ's return. They wanted to be taken up to glory there and then. Jesus had warned his followers to be prepared that he was coming after all. He said it could take place at any given moment. And Peter himself, he had encouraged believers to recognize the end of all things in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. And it's easy to see, isn't it, with such an emphasis, why it might have led to some people feeling a little bit disappointed when Jesus hadn't returned up until this stage or as soon as the believers thought he would return naturally led to some believers, at least, beginning to ask questions among themselves, saying things like, has God been unfaithful to his promise? And as we, together today, think about the final element of our vision series, looking at who we are and who we believe God is calling us to be as a church, we remember that we base our vision here around five key words, belonging, believing, serving, impacting, and multiplying. I want to unpack from the response that Peter gives here in these short verses that we've read together today, how he addresses these questioners and these doubters in this passage, and then ask the question, why is it so important for us to be a multiplying church? Because here's the thing, whether those in the church at this stage can see it or not, whether in our daily lives, even in the, the world that we live in, we believe it or not, Jesus is coming back. He is going to return for his church. And to help us understand how that fits in with our vision here at Hope, I want to unpack three things this morning about the very nature of God and look at who he is. Because when we catch a glimpse of who God is, we begin to get this understanding why multiplying for us is so important as a church. So this morning, we're going to be spending some time focusing on God's timetable, God's patience, and God's waiting. And then we'll ask the question, in light of these three things, who are we called to be? You see, the problem facing the church here in Peter's time is that really there is this wrong understanding and a wrong view of imminence. Some false teachers have wrongly assumed that Christ would return very shortly after the resurrection. 
And since that did not happen, some began to reject the idea that Christ would ever return at all. And Peter's response is to remind the believers, to remind the church that God's timetable is not our timetable. You see, our perception of time is not the same as God's perception of time. It's like the story of a man who went and laid down in a field one day and he started looking up at the clouds and he says to God, God, how long is a million years? In my time reference, God replies, a million years is like a minute. Then God says to the man, how much is a million pounds? Well, to me, God says, a million pounds is just like a penny. In that case, the man says, can you give me a penny? Sure, God says, just give me a minute. <laughs> As Christians, we must realize that our perception of time is not the same as God's. What Peter points out here in verse 8 is that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. When he says this, he's using the adaptation of Psalm uh, chapter 90 and verse 4, which says, a thousand years in the sight of God is like a day that has just gone by, or a watch at night. The point is that God doesn't experience time as we do. What seems long to us, what seems like an unbearable weight for us at times, is just a mere blip in the economy of God. The simple fact is, is that Jesus is not limited to time in the same way that we are limited to time. And with that in mind, I wonder for you personally, what have you been waiting for in your own life? What have you been longing for which just doesn't seem to be coming? Maybe you have been praying and praying and praying and praying for a loved one to come to know Jesus and it doesn't seem like they're making any progress towards accepting him as Lord and Saviour. Maybe you have been longing for reconciliation with a loved one. It doesn't seem to be happening. Maybe you've been yearning to know what the calling that God has on your life is and it just seems like a fuzzy mess at the moment and you don't know what the next step is in your life. I don't know what it is that you're waiting for but there is good news today. You see, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't happen. Just because it doesn't seem like God is not moving right now doesn't mean that he isn't. Just because it feels like your prayers have gone unanswered up to this point doesn't mean that they have. What is it that's on your heart right now? What are you searching for answers for in your own life? Once again, the call of God is to look to him, to trust him. He knows what he is doing. His timetable is not our timetable. Secondly, what do we learn about the nature of God from our passage today, from our text? We learn that he is patient. Verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's easy, isn't it, to look at our world at times and think to ourselves, well, if Jesus is actually coming back, if there is a day where he is coming to make everything new, to wipe all tears from our eyes, where there's going to be no more hurt, no more heartache, no more pain, and no more death, what on earth is he waiting for? 
I mean, this world feels like it's falling apart. This world feels like it's heading in totally and utterly the wrong direction. And as a result of that, surely the simple thing to do, Jesus, is just to come back now and sort this mess out. But the thing that we're called to realize as believers is that God is not only in control, but he is always on time. There were some in Peter's time who scoffed at the thought because of the inactivity that they believed and they perceived in the economy of God, that he was not doing anything, so Jesus clearly isn't coming back. And there would be those in our world today who would probably find themselves in exactly the same viewpoint as those people back then. Maybe atheists would potentially look at the teachings of Jesus and they would say, well, he was either lying or he was simply not capable of keeping the promises that he made. But what Peter shows us is that's not the case. In fact, Jesus never put a time and a date on the time that he was coming back. That alone belongs to the Father. And the word which is translated here for us as not slow means not delayed. In fact, this is the only time that we see this word used in the entire New Testament. It's not like a a church meeting where there's times where I'm stood at the front and I'm thinking, we haven't got enough people here to start. So I stand there and say, well, we'll just give it five more minutes to see if anyone else turns up. This is not what's happening here. God is not delayed by the circumstances of other people. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. His timetable is always accurate. He is totally and utterly in control and his motive for everything is always love. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it's because of that love that he has not returned yet in order to give people the maximum opportunity to repent of their sin. Peter says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. And when we talk about timescales, what Peter points out for us is that we often judge by our impatient human standards. But God's so-called lateness is only really a delay with the respect to our time schedules and not his. But God's time schedule, once again, says something to us this morning about his attributes. That he is a patient God. That he is slow to anger and abounding in love. So therefore, the delay should not be seen as a cause for complaint or a cause for concern. But it should be seen today as a sign of God's forbearance with a sinful human people. Which brings me to my third point today. God is waiting. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for repentance. Peter says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The teaching that Peter teaches here is based on the teaching of the prophets in the Old Testament. We read these words in Ezekiel 18 and verse 23, which says, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? And not that he should turn from his ways and live. God is a patient God. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for repentance. The reason of this waiting is because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. It's an idea which we see in other parts of the New Testament as well. We see that Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 
God desires that none should perish. There will be some who do perish, however. And that will be a consequence of Jesus coming again. Because God will not force his goodwill on anyone who resists it. God longs for all to be saved. The death of Christ at Calvary is sufficient for every man, woman, and child to come to the knowledge of repentance and turn to him. But God does know that most will reject it. And God's patience is seen in not pouring out that wrath on humanity for the wickedness of humanity, but it's seen for the sake of those who will turn to him. And when the word says that God doesn't want anyone to perish, it doesn't express a decree. We're not talking about some sort of universalist salvation here where everyone comes to know Jesus in the end and everyone is saved. But what we are talking about is God bears with sinners to give people the maximum amount of time to turn to him. But also it goes on to say this in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. We simply don't know the time and the date that Jesus Christ will return. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a thousand years. We haven't got the date, but it's not for us to put the time frame on it. But this is why multiplying is at the heart of who we are as a church and at the heart of our vision. As I said a couple of weeks ago, if we genuinely believe the gospel to be true, we cannot be content as a church by simply playing church when there are people outside of this building who are heading for a lost eternity right now. We cannot simply be content with playing church and worrying about what happens here on a Sunday when there are people in the very streets that we are here to serve who don't know him. We have to look at our friends, look at our family, look at our neighbours and realise that the patience of God on humanity is to give them chance to come to know him. And we have a part to play in that. Because here's the thing, the day of God's patience will eventually close. I once came across a golf club which had a sign outside it which says, lifetime membership for a limited time only. And in effect, that's the gospel, isn't it? God offers us lifetime membership. He offers us the opportunity to turn to him, to come to him, to know him, repent, and enter into relationship with him, but it's for a limited time only. There will be a day where Jesus does come again, and those who follow him will be taken up to glory, and those who reject him will spend eternity apart from him. And the role of the church is to call people to seek the Lord while he is there to be found, to draw on him while he is near, because today is the day of salvation. I don't know where you are with Christ at the moment, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus for yourself, I want to tell you this morning, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off any longer. Don't wait for tomorrow or for that deathbed moment where you're going to say, I'm going to turn to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. God's patience is there for you and he longs to know you and he wants a relationship with you. What are you waiting for? Church, our heart here is that Hope Baptist Church is a church that grows. I want this church to outgrow our building. I want us to seriously consider having to plant another congregation somewhere in this city as a church because we simply don't have the room here to meet together. And that's not because I want to make our name great. Really, I don't want us to be the biggest, shiniest church in this city. I want us to be the most faithful church in this city. But it's not about being... Uh, 
uh, all singing, all dancing congregation. The reason that I want us to grow is because there is lost people in this city who don't know Jesus. There is lost people in our nation who don't know Jesus. There are lost people in the world who don't know Jesus. And all the time that's the case, we have a mission to fulfill. We have a role to play because God invites us to be part of his story in bringing salvation to a lost world. That's why multiplying is at our heart as a church. Will it be uncomfortable? Yes, it will be uncomfortable because it will mean opening up ourselves to people who probably aren't like us, people who could mess up how we do things here as a church, people who could mess up our preferences and how we like things here as a church, people that we seek to accommodate who just don't get it. People who talk differently to us, maybe look differently to us, certainly behave differently to us. But that is what Jesus is passionate about. And that is the heart of what we should seek to be together. A church on mission for the lost because he is patient with us and his kindness has led us to repentance. And we want that kindness to lead other people to repentance too. So friends, as we begin to draw this sermon series to a close... Let's choose to revisit this time and time again. Who are we as a church? We're Hope Baptist Church, who seek to be a church where everyone can belong, regardless of who you are, where you've come from, what's gone on in your life up to this point. We want everyone to find a home here at Hope Baptist Church so they might come under the sound of the gospel. But more than that, we don't want to just be a social club. There are lots of settings in this city where if you want a social club, you can find a social club. We want to be a church where people grow deep roots in Christ, that they believe the gospel and they come under the sound of that, that when the storms of life hit, they can stand firm. We want to be a discipling church. We, wear, we, we challenge and encourage and support one another to go deeper with Jesus. We want to be a serving church because we believe that we're never more like Jesus than when we're serving others and serving his church. And we get that gracious invite to be part of his story. We want to be an impacting church, recognizing that serving on its own is not enough. There are plenty of people who do great works across this city and serving on its own never brings genuine change. It's only the gospel that brings change. It's only Jesus in our lives that brings change. So we want to impact this city with the gospel and in doing so, multiply. Not to make our name great, but to make his name great. So my challenge as we draw this sermon series to a close and we seek to live out our principles, our values, is that we're not there yet. There's a long way to go in a lot of this stuff. This stuff in some ways is a lot far off but let's as a church over the course of this year commit ourselves to closing that gap that when we look at this together again next year we can look back and we can say yes we have made progress in how we help one another belong because we've all got a part to play yes over the course of the last year we've all gone deeper with Jesus as a result of one another and being part of this place yes I found my place where God is calling me to serve and as a result I'm having an impact and playing my part in seeing the church multiply and with that in mind, I wonder what God might be speaking to you about right now. I wonder, out of all of those five principles, where God is challenging you to take a step today. Maybe God is calling you to open your home up and be hospitable to someone here. Maybe God is calling you to be vulnerable with someone and to seek to walk a journey of faith with someone, allowing them to speak into your life. Maybe God is putting a ministry on your heart that he wants you to get involved with. You could start tomorrow. You can make some sandwiches for Supran. 
Maybe God wants you to make an impact in what you're doing by being brave to speak out the gospel. Maybe God is calling you to invite a non-believer to church next week. That this might be the start of their journey of faith and our journey of multiplying.